Welcome to Metropolitan Baptist Church here in Brooklyn, New York. I'm Pastor Chris Gardner, and I welcome you to worship with us on this Lord's Day. May the Spirit of God prepare your hearts and your minds to join in the worship of our eternal God, who alone is worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. Now, as you prepare for the service, I encourage you to have your Bibles open to Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to be sharing from the ESV, the English Standard Version, as we continue our study in the book of Romans. But in a moment, you're going to see pictures of our church family as they have been participating from their homes in our family devotions on Romans and as they work on their memory verses. But also, I ask you to pay attention to the announcements, letting you know how to connect with our ongoing ministries here at Metropolitan. Finally, let me encourage you to invite your family and friends to join us in our worship service today. Friday, my wife picked me up from Hamilton Park Rehabilitation Center, where I spent the last two weeks rehabilitating from a very lengthy bout with COVID-19. Let me give a shout out to my friends there at Hamilton Park. They might be listening today, and I hope they are. I was truly blessed to have very caring individuals support me and help me through my recovery by physical and occupational therapy, by good meals and compassionate care. But you know, on the way home, just before noon on a Friday, we drove down 86th Street, which is the business district of, of our neighborhood. And it was really sad to see how many closed businesses there were. And the few people that we saw out walking down the street with masks on. I had to ask myself what so many have been asking. Is this the new normal? I certainly hope not. I pray that the businesses can soon reopen and, and things get back to, uh, for them, for their business. But also that people will once again be able to speak face to face on our streets. Yet, in another way, I hope this is the new normal for the church. Oh, I'm not talking about the closed doors, but what I have seen happening in these past two months. A pastor friend of mine, for instance, left his church to go work in a nursing home riddled with COVID. Calvary Chapel on Staten Island has raised funds for 200 meals for those who are hurt financially in their community. Samaritan's Purse poured Christian staff into Central Park to care for the most critical of the COVID-19 patients. And then here at Metropolitan, two members have led two online prayer meetings for more than 30 days in a row. A sister in Christ who lost two family members is out giving food to others in the church who have needs. A member of Metropolitan is using her bonus money that she's received during this time to send care packages from Metropolitan Baptist Church to the police, the firemen, EMTs, nursing homes, and hospital workers to thank them for what they're doing during this pandemic. Others in the church have risen up to provide leadership, to write devotionals, and to discover ways to keep us in touch as a church family and our community through online ministries. 
This is the new normal for the church. But actually, it's really the old norm. Because throughout the centuries, Christians, in the name of Jesus Christ, have let the power of the gospel and the love of God give them courage to minister to the most desperate in society. While the world hides in fear, may the church continue to rise up in compassion so the reality of Christ in us, the hope of glory, might be more than just a cliché. And that's possible because of the truths that we find in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Let's take a look at what that says. Romans 5, verse 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let's ask the Lord to speak to us through his word. Our great eternal God, we come before you humbly because we know that we have no right to enter into your presence apart from Jesus Christ. We were rebels. We had rejected your way and we had set ourselves up as our own little gods. Every human being walking the face of this planet, each one saying, life should revolve around me. But you and your miraculous and gracious power have done something that seems impossible. You have taken our stony and hard hearts and you have broken them down and opened our eyes to see the greatness of the salvation that you are offering through Jesus Christ. You let us understand both the depths of our rebellion, but also the greater depths of the work of Jesus Christ who died on the cross in our place. And so we ask you today to continue to do that great work in us. As you have declared us right, justified us, in our Savior Jesus Christ. We pray that you will continue to do that in others as well. Open their eyes to know the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ by the power of your Holy Spirit that they might experience the love of God. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. While we study these five verses I want you to consider this theme, that God glorifiers glory in the gospel, knowing God has destined us for glory. God glorifiers glory in the gospel, knowing God has destined us for glory. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a God glorifier? There are many different ways that, that we could describe that. But from our text, I want you to notice that being God glorifiers are those who glory in the position of your being in Christ. 
You know, in the opening four chapters of this book of Romans, the Apostle Paul has opened our eyes to see how rebellious and how sinful every human heart is toward God. And his concluding remarks about that in chapter 3 are devastating for us. There is none righteous, no, not one, he declares. For all have sinned, that is, all have rebelled against God and suppressed the truth about him. And they've fallen short of the glory of God. Now, if he had left it there, we'd have been without hope. But at the end of chapter 3 and throughout chapter 4, he showed that God has made a way for us to be forgiven, that we could be restored into a right relationship with God by faith in Jesus Christ. He called that glorious truth justification. And now our passage opens with that profound statement. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. What an exciting statement. It's hard to grasp that truth. Justification is not just a possibility. For many, it's a reality. We have been justified. It is a glorious experience from our past that has ramifications for our future. Have been justified. And what are those ongoing ramifications? Well, the Apostle Paul begins to describe them for us. Notice how the justified have peace with God. I mean, think of what that means. In the past, as we've seen, we're enemies of God. We're alienated from him because of our evil behavior. You rebelled against your creator. You set your mind in the flesh and became hostile to God. For you did not submit to God's law. Therefore, the wrath of the Almighty God, the creator of the universe, was aimed at you, ready to destroy your rebellious soul. What happened to change that? God acted in history by sending his own son into this world, who ended up dying on a cross, where he absorbed the wrath of God on himself. He was like a lightning rod on a house that takes that bolt of lightning and redirects it. Jesus Christ took your place and he took mine on that cross. And through the glorious resurrection, God announced that anyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ, in his perfect righteousness, in his death in your place, could be forgiven and be cleared right, justified in God's sight. The result is spelled out in the second half of verse 1 where it says, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So does that mean that, that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ is justified and has peace with God? Well, in several of his recent sermons, our elder Sean Moran has discussed, discussed the difference between false faith and true faith. 
Let me illustrate that for you. You see, in 1957, my mother was pregnant with her seventh child, Angel Elaine. However, Angel Elaine was stillborn. She had grown within that womb over those months to full term. But something went wrong at the end. She was given a burial. Each member of our family knows about her. However, if someone asks me about my family, I say, I'm one of 10 siblings, not one of 11 siblings. Why is that? Because even though we know and we care about our little sister, she never breathed the breath of life outside the womb. You know, there are people in the church who would attend on a regular basis. And they talk about believing on Jesus. But they've never experienced the new birth. They have made up their own understanding of who Jesus is. But true faith has not been awakened in them to their mortal danger and to the only possible hope of being justified, declared right with God, and therefore having peace with God. They are, in a sense, stillborn, never having breathed the spiritual life of the kingdom of God. They remain, then, enemies of God. But I want you to notice also how the justified have a place with God. You see, the person who is justified has peace with God, and therefore, they have a place in God's family. I'm not talking about in the local church, for people can be in a local church without being alive in Jesus Christ, as we just stated. Having a place with God means two things. First, it means that Jesus Christ is preparing a place for us in eternity. He said that, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you might be also. Before his death and resurrection, Jesus gave that promise to those of us who are his disciples. But it also means what we read in verse 2. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You know that word translated rejoice. It has an interesting meaning in this chapter. It appears three times in the English Standard Version as the word rejoice. We find it here in verse 2. We'll see it again in verse 3. And then later on we'll see it in verse 11. Well, that's a powerful word, but it's not the usual biblical word for rejoice. Back in chapter 3, this same word that's translated here as rejoice is translated as boast. Paul says that all of our boasting in our own good works are worthless. Most of the time in the New Testament, then this word that we translate here as rejoice is translated as boast. A few times it is translated as glory. And here, it's rejoice. I mean, why? Well, 
think of this. What is the meaning of boast? It means to have extreme confidence in something or someone, to glory in it, to lift it up and exalt in it. Yet usually, when we use the word boast, it carries a negative meaning. So the translators chose the word rejoice to carry that meaning. It's not talking about having joy in something, but rather in glorying in or exulting in something. What are we boasting in? What are we glorying in or rejoicing in? God. You see, God has opened up marvelous access to himself through grace. Grace, unmerited favor, is something that we do not deserve. And that stirs a passion in our heart. A glorying in it, a rejoicing in this hope that God's glory is being restored in us. That image of God given to Adam and Eve is being given back to us, to you and to me. And that's a glorious thought. It is a, a thought worth boasting in, worth glorying in. Think of it this way. General Flynn, a highly decorated four-star general, reached the peak of his career when President Trump appointed him as national security advisor. But suddenly, he was charged with lying to the FBI and he was fired for lying to the vice president. His reputation was gone. His finances, his family destroyed. But in recent weeks, information has come out that seemed to exonerate him. We'll find out in the near future. But suppose it turns out that he is fully declared not guilty by the court system and by the president, and that he is somehow restored to a position in the White House. You see, that is exactly what the text says happens to a person by faith in Jesus Christ. We were guilty, no question about it. But because of what Christ has done, God has pardoned our sins completely. He has restored us to right standing with him as children of God. And he has provided a place for us in his kingdom. And that is worth glorying in. And so we rejoice in our position in Christ. But I also want you to see that we glory in the proof of our belonging to Christ. What we have seen about having peace with God and a place with God seems incredible to believe. We were enemies, and now we have a place in God's family. We're seated at the table as children of God, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Can anything be better than that? Well, apparently so. Because look at how verse 3 begins. Not only that. You mean, Paul, that there's more to this? And his answer is yes. There is much more, and he's going to open that up for us in the next several chapters. But look at what he says here. I want you to notice how the justified glory in the pressure that comes from God. What if someone comes to you, and they say, I want you to be part of our group, part of our team. You're going to have a close and caring team. You're going to have a place at our table. And you're going to be one of us. 
And then comes the next line. And even more than that, you get to suffer. There's going to be lots of pain. A lot of hurt. You might even die. <laughs> Do you think you're going to jump at that chance? Well, you better believe it. If you're a football player or a basketball player, and the person asking you is the owner of your favorite professional team, or maybe they're the head of the Navy SEALs, and they're inviting you to be part of that very elite group, or perhaps even the director of the, the president's secret service. Well, Paul says, even more than having peace with God and a place in his kingdom family, you get to suffer. That's what we see in verse 3 when it says, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We boast in our sufferings. We glory in our sufferings. It's a privilege to suffer for the kingdom of God and for the glory of God. Do you want to know whether you've been justified? Whether you have been born again? Do you glory in suffering? Why is it that a Christian can glory in the suffering that's placed on us? In the pressure that comes on us in this life? There are two glorious reasons. First, because when we are truly born again, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. In other words, the Christian knows that no matter what happens, God is sovereignly in charge and he is working through it for the good of his eternal purpose and out of his love for us. You know that SEAL team member? When they go into the enemy's zone, knowing that they might be wounded or even killed, you might ask why. But the answer, the answer is he believes in the mission and he trusts his team leader. Well, the true Christian glories in the pressures that come on us because we trust the team leader, Jesus Christ, and we believe in his mission. The second reason the Christian glories in suffering is a powerful belief that God is using that suffering as a means of preparing us for eternity. You see, the football player spends those many hours of training and pain so that he can be ready on game day. The Bible makes it clear that your life and mine is full of a lot of garbage that needs to be cleaned out. If you want to become pure gold, you need that purging fire. So we glory in suffering because we know that it is producing in us that weight of eternal glory. But I also want you to notice how the justified understand the purpose of God as proof of the fact that they belong to Christ. You see, there's a key word that appears in this phrase. After the phrase, rejoicing in our suffering. You see it in verse 3. It says, knowing. Knowing. Of all the things that have been said so far, the way to identify whether you have a real relationship with Jesus Christ by faith in him is that one word, knowing. You see, other people would say, I wish. 
I hope. Well, I think. But Christians can say, I know. We know what God has done for us in justifying us, that we have peace with God and we have a place in his family. We understand just how massive that work was to take us from being an enemy of God, who is dead in our sin and rebellion, and awaken faith in us, opening our eyes to see what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. And if he has done that for us, then we know that he who began a good work in us is bringing it to completion through that suffering. With confident assurance, as children of God, we know that our Father cares about us and that he will only do what is good for us. While I lay weak and weary from that virus, I rested in this confidence that my Father my Father who had lavished his love on me, that I should be called a child of God, that he loved for me, that he loved me, that he cared for me, and that he was working in me for his glory and my eternal good. I pray that the message so far has given you a better understanding of what it means to be in Christ as we glory in God's sovereign and gracious salvation. In my opening comments, I asked you to open your Bibles to Romans 5, but perhaps you don't have a Bible. We'd be glad to provide you with your own Bible. All you have to do is request one by emailing us at metbaptist at outlook.com. That's M-E-T-B-A-P-T-I-S-T at outlook.com. Or you can write to us at Metropolitan Baptist Church 1624 84th Street, Brooklyn, New York, 11214. You also listen to other messages and teachings by going to our website, www.metbaptist.com. Now let's rejoin the message. Let me quickly share with you the last two points from these verses. We glory in our position in Christ. We glory in the proof of our belonging to Christ. But now I want you to notice that we glory in the process of our becoming like Christ. God has one ultimate purpose in justifying us and then in placing us under pressure. God's goal for the glory in every Christian is to conform us to the image of his Son. That's why verse 3 continues, that suffering produces. Suffering produces something. You know, every team has someone who is that team's hero. Go to any high school and look in the trophy case, and, and what are you going to see? You're going to see some number there. You're going to see some picture there. You're going to see some trophy there of an individual in that school's history. That really stood out. Think of a sport. And a certain name will pop out that every player in that position wants to emulate. Well, for every true Christian, our goal is to be like Jesus Christ. So notice how the justified believer exists in persevering in God. 
perfection doesn't come without suffering. I smiled at one of the devotionals from last week in preparation for this uh, sermon. It discussed what it would be like, what it would take, really, for us to be like one of the Marvel comic heroes. You know, not just the actual comic person, but the, the person who plays them. What would it take for us to be like that? The writer said it would take one to two hours a day, five days a week, for a couple of years for that to happen. Well, my friends, I've spent one to two hours a day for sometimes six days a week, and even at my peak, I didn't look like any of those guys. Try six, eight, or even more hours a day in order to become what they are. That is what Paul is saying to us in our glorying in suffering. We do so that, as verse 3 states, suffering produces endurance. You know, there's a theological term that, that we use in place of the word endurance. It's called perseverance. To persevere through thick and thin, through health or sickness, in the storms of life, we do so, for as Job stated, I know that when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. Jesus told in the parable of the four soils that some will profess faith in Jesus Christ, but under suffering, their faith would wither and die. True faith grows deeper under suffering as God gives strength for each day. Eight weeks dealing with this coronavirus was no fun, and I'm far from being back to where I should be. Yet during that time, I learned to pray better. I was able to keep up with the Bible memory work. And I saw more clearly what God was able to do and what he is continuing to do in this church because of this pandemic. You see, in that perseverance, as you turn your eyes upon Jesus, you understand more clearly both the what and the why of suffering. But I also want you to notice how the justified desire to be proven before God. We believe in persevering in God, but we also need to recognize that we are being proven before God. The Christian doesn't seek to prove himself or herself to God. You and I know that we are weak and helpless babies. But we also know that God is at work in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. As a result, we glory in suffering, knowing, as verse 4 states, that endurance produces character. I'd have a lot to say about that. I could preach a whole sermon just on that phrase itself, especially since our culture doesn't believe in character. But time constrains me. What does character mean? It means to be tested, to have a testedness, a proven worth. We live in a, a culture of narcissists. 
Everyone wants to believe that they are just fine the way that they are. Schools no longer want us to test kids. We don't want any kid to fail, and so we don't test them. Parents tell their children, you can do anything that you want. Positive thinking gurus espouse that belief in books and TV programs, saying that all you need to do is believe something, and it's going to happen. Few believe in proving someone's worth. But God does. See, God is building character in us through that testing. He wants us to move away from being spiritual children tossed about by every wind and weight of doctrine so that we might grow up into the full stature of Jesus Christ. Which brings us to our final point. Those who have been justified glory in the power by which you bear up in Christ. In the end, this is really all about not what you and I do, but what God has done and is continuing to do in us. The work that God does in us through endurance under pressure provides that proven character that gives us the final result that we find in verse 5. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Character does not produce pride in our accomplishments. It provides hope in God's accomplishment as he works in those whom he has justified. Notice then how the justified receive that proof of God at work in them. Ultimately, how a person responds to suffering is not so much a proof of their faith. It is proof of God's faithfulness. Look at the second part of verse 5. Because God's love has been poured into your hearts. We don't have hope because we have proven character. We have proven character because God has poured his love into us that gives us hope. When I was at Hamilton Park rehabilitating, I went in with zero muscle tone. Each day, the physical and occupational therapist would come in, and they would get me out of bed, and they would push me to work out. In those early days, I had trouble lifting my legs without any weights on them. My oxygen levels would plummet with each exercise. I struggled, but they knew just how far to push me. In two weeks, I went from nothing to be able to walk long distances, climb 44 stairs up and down, and do other exercises with five-pound weights. Now, I could say, look what I did. But that would be a lie. I have to say, look at what they did. And as Christians, we don't boast in our good character, as if we have done something great. We glory in God's love that's been poured out on us for our good and for his glory. But I also want you to notice how the justified receive the presence of God, which is the power of God at work in us. You see, the power by which anything is accomplished in a Christian is by the power of the Holy Spirit, as verse 5 concludes, through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
through that Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That is the secret of being justified and being brought into God's family. We receive the very life of God himself. The Holy Spirit who comes to dwell in us, empowering us to persevere under that pressure so that we can come forth with proven character and in it all have our eyes open to the eternal hope through the love of God. You know, the Holy Spirit is not investing in you for what is going to happen to you in this world. He is preparing you for eternity. And that's the new normal for the Christian, who under the suffering of this COVID pandemic or any other suffering that we have to endure, that we can come forth having persevered with proven character because they can't worthy of greater value than this momentary security that the world wants on this planet, the eternal security that we have through faith in Jesus Christ. And so I ask you, is your faith stillborn or is it a living faith? Have you experienced that new birth in Jesus Christ? Has your experience with COVID-19, has that brought rejoicing in you or cursing? Are you persevering through that suffering or are you moaning and groaning? Finally, are you self-focused or are you spirit-focused? You want to know whether you are justified, whether you stand in a right relationship with God? Paul has told us how we can know that. Faith, true faith, sees the glory of God. And in the midst of anything that happens in this world, we glory, we boast, we rejoice in God because of what he is working in us for our good and for his glory. Amen.
Thank you for joining our worship service today. I pray that God has spoken to you through his living and abiding word. If you want to know more about the truth that we discussed today, please contact us at metbaptist@outlook.com. If you would like to know more, you can also contact us for prayer or any other thing that you need in your spiritual life. You know, God's word and his salvation are free. However, the ministry of the church is not. So if you'd like to help support the ongoing ministry of this church, you may do so by going on our website at metbaptist.com and clicking on the Give tab or by sending a donation to Metropolitan Baptist Church, 1624 84th Street, Brooklyn, New York, 11214. May God continue to speak to your heart today.